Hello, welcome. My name is Joe and I am your host. Today I want to talk to you about three questions that you can ask your loved ones, that you can hear their answers and ideally take those answers and implement them today, right away. Three questions, not a long conversation for most people. For some people it goes long and then you can go right into implementing what their answers are. I want to give you the power to improve your relationship today, to start improving it today. Let's kick it off. This is The Joe Martino Show. You're listening to The Joe Martino Show, a podcast dealing with all things emotional, relational, and human nature. Joe is a licensed counselor in the state of Michigan specializing in relationship therapy. He is also the author of the book, The Emotionally Secure Couple. All advice offered in this episode is offered for entertainment and educational purposes only. Enjoy the show. All right, so I want to talk to you today about three core questions that we believe everyone's asking. If you've read my book, uh, it, the questions are in there. If you've been to a marriage conference, the questions are in there. If you have been anywhere where I've done anything on relationships, these questions come up. I actually think they come up in every relationship. So if you're sitting there, you're driving along, and you're like, look, I'm not married, I'm not dating, how does this help me? It will help you in your work relationships. In your any relationship you have, you can ask these three questions, and then, you know, depending on how far out you get, you get to make choices on what you do with those answers. I was talking to another therapist who actually uses these in his therapy, and he said, I've never found a couple that I worked with who was serious about improving their relationship that when they utilize this, uh, this these questions, when they utilize this exercise, that their relationship didn't improve when they followed through. Before we get to those questions, I want to do a quick review on the idea of emotional security. Emotional security is the thing that I believe is most important for a healthy relationship. Emotional security is this idea that we know that it's safe to know and be known. It's safe to be uh, emotionally naked. It's safe to be bare emotionally with a person that you're in relationship with. What happens is, is we lose emotional security. And so we build dysfunctional protections into how we communicate, into how we interact. And the relationship actually sours because we get caught protecting ourselves. And sometimes we, we feel emotionally insecure, uh, because of our own interpretations, perhaps from our own trauma. But most of the time, we feel emotionally insecure because there are hurts that aren't processed, often both ways in a relationship. And the power of this exercise is that it allows you to bring healthy behaviors into your awareness, which then allows you to create healthy habits, which then creates a healthy relationship. So we want to start with the three questions that any couple, any to any place, you can literally text your spouse as soon as you're done with this show and ask them these questions and just listen to their answers. And and you know you might get a long answer back, you might get a short answer back, but then you have you you have actionable material. The three questions are: What do I do that causes you to feel the most heard, the most valued, and the most safe? That's it. Just those three questions. And we're gonna break them down a little bit. We're gonna talk about them. But those three questions, what do I do that causes you to feel the most heard, the most valued, and the most safe? If you want to add a fun fourth one, what do I do that causes you to feel the most wanted, the most pursued? That's always a fun one. And of course, these questions, these actions are covered, if you will, by the, pill, by, by the, the pillar, the triangle of love, trust, and respect. Healthy relationships have equal doses of love, trust, and respect. They cover all the areas. 
unhealthy relationships have those out of balance, right? Maybe they have the passionate love, but there's no trust and respect. Maybe they have a deep love, but there's no trust and respect. Maybe they have trust, but there isn't a lot of love or respect. Maybe they have respect, like, oh, I respect that he goes to work. I respect that she goes to work. I respect what she's done with her life. But there's not trust with who I am. There's not love there. And that's a whole nother day. I've talked about those, those three things a couple times. But as those three things interact, love, trust, and respect, how we build them, you cannot build emotional security for someone. I've talked about this in the past. You can't make someone feel emotionally secure. You can't make them... Uh, feel like they are emotionally growing, but you can grow emotional security in fertile ground. You can be responsible for the fertile ground that the emotional security grows in. Or you can be responsible for the fallow ground, for the ground that is dead and weed covered and full of pesticides that's, that is destroying emotional security, that is growing up and suffocating the possibility of emotional security. And over time, that will destroy a relationship. So if you want to improve your relationships today, one of the things that you have to do is you have to commit to being a good hearer. That is a hearer, not just a listener. Sorry, my grammar police friends. You have to be good at hearing because these cascade, it goes from hearing to value to safe. If you're not good at hearing someone, you're not good at valuing them. If you're not good at hearing and valuing them, you're not good at creating safety for them. Hearing comes first, then value, then safety, always. Well, then what is good hearing? Hearing is committing to understanding what the other person is saying before you tell them what you're thinking. Before you tell them what is wrong with what they're saying. And and hopefully you laugh a little bit at that, but if you think about it, here's how it goes a lot of times. Why are you doing that? Well, blah, blah, blah. well, here's what's wrong with it. Well, I thought we could do this. No, that isn't what you said. And people start arguing and they play what I call verbal tennis. I just witnessed this in the not too distant past where I was working with two couple or a couple, two individuals on improving their ability to hear each other. And the husband was talking about how he wanted something to go. He didn't even finish the sentence and his wife was telling him why that wouldn't work. Ironically, she was very frustrated for him with him because earlier in the week, their son had turned 21 and they were having a big party for him and she wanted to do a gift in a certain way and set up decorations in a certain way. And before she could finish the sentence, he told her that those decorations wouldn't work. And she was like, you don't even know what I'm trying to say. And I let him argue back and forth a little bit about it. And finally said, how hurt do you feel on a scale of one to five? Do One being, I don't hear you at all. Five being... I hear you so well that you're convinced if I had to argue your case in a court of law, I could. How do you feel? And they both said, well, one, one and a half. And that I find is a common issue for couples. In part, and I've talked about this a lot because we don't, we don't get to the story in our head. We just respond to it. We don't evaluate the story in our head to figure out if it's accurate. We don't make sure that the story in our head is actually what the other person is, is the story in their head, what they're trying to communicate to us. 
And so this spins because all the time there's multiple conversations going on. There's We've talked about this a little bit in the past. There's like what I think I'm saying. There's what's actually coming out of my mouth. There's what I think it means. There's what it actually means. Sometimes they're different, unfortunately. Right. Sometimes uh, I think I know what something means and it doesn't mean that. Or I think I have all the information and I don't. And because I don't have all the information, what happens is, is I'm communicating something that is incomplete. One time my wife and I were sitting, we're camping. Uh, The birds are chirping. She's eating. We had just grilled. It was our last tent camping experience. Uh, We love tent camping. And we've moved on to a camper now because of our family size and and some other benefits of that. We love tent camping. And she's just sitting there eating, minding her own business. And the story in my head is she's upset about something. I had zero evidence. I had zero things other than her eyeballs weren't focused the way that I thought they should be. That's what the story in your head does. And so that's important because we have to understand because if we're going to be good hearers, we're going to ask questions of clarification. We're going to reflect back to people what it is that we think they're saying. And we're going to make sure that we understand. So we're going to say, here's what I think you're saying and here's what I think it means. Now, we might actually say that phrase. So, okay, so if I hear you right, what I think you're saying is da-da-da-da-da-da. And what I think it means is da-da-da-da-da-da. Or we might just say, so you're saying, and then kind of give back to them what they're saying. Now, I'm going to illustrate this with a silly example. Let's say that your spouse says to you, I think the Golden Arches coffee is the greatest coffee ever. And if you're like me, you think it's the grossest coffee ever. Instead of just saying, oh my word, are you serious? That's disgusting. How can you possibly think that? A good hearer would mirror that, would take this and reflect it back to them. They would say, so you really like the Golden Arches coffee. Is that right? Or you might say, you really like the Golden Arches coffee. Or you might say, oh, you think Golden Arches coffee is the best. And then if they respond, oh yeah, it's, you know, it's got this great machine taste to it. It leaves a disgusting aftertaste that I just love to later. And best of all, it's only 99 cents. Now, you might you, you might be tempted there to say, well, you don't really like it. You just like it that it's 99 cents. Which is an invitation to an argument, not an invitation to understanding. A good hearer would then reflect that, would mirror that with, oh, so you really like the price point. Do you like the price point more than you like the taste? Does that matter more to you? Here's what you're doing. You're investing time in hearing what the person has to say, not just the words that are coming out of their mouth, but all of those conversations that I talked about that are running up inside their head, what they think it means, what it actually means, what they hope they're communicating, the story in their head. You're taking time and you're investing that time in trying to make sure that you understand it better. This is such a powerful tool. If you have adult children or teenage children, This tool is transformative for a relationship. Your child says something to you that does that makes your eyelids hit the top of your head so hard that your brain rattles, right? You know the the, the phrases that I'm talking about. Instead of trying to open their jaws and crawl down their throat like I see so many parents try to do, what if you invested that energy in really understanding what's going on? Now, it doesn't mean you're going to agree with them. It doesn't mean that you're going to end up saying to them, hey, you know what? I agree with you. But 
it does mean that you're telling them, I care about you more than I care about whatever issue we're talking about. I care about hearing you more than I care about making you hear me and believe like me. And I want to invest time into you to understand what you're saying. You're telling them, I want to be a good hearer. And you're, you're tilling the ground. You're pulling the weeds. You're, you're, you're fertilizing the soil. You're helping it become fertile ground for emotional security to grow. Whether it's your child, your spouse, coworkers, if you've ever had a boss that heard you, people stay with those bosses forever. If you've ever had a boss that heard and valued you, you'll stay there literally until you die. Heard, valued, and safe, people will stay there and they'll, they'll tear down buildings with spoons if, if that's what the boss asks. Because we just raise your hand if you have too many people that are really trying to hear you. Just raise your hand if you have too many people that are trying to really hear what you're saying. That are really trying to understand how it works in your head. Because one of the things that is just true of human nature is we all experience life differently. We all experience life. We can go through the same experience and we experience life differently. We have different interpretations, different backgrounds. This is why people who grew up in the same house can look at life differently even as adults because they experienced it differently even though they both experienced it at the same time. And so you want to take their words, their meaning, their emotion and offer them back to the person. This tells them that you're invested in hearing them. If you want more information about this, episode 14, it talks about the mirror method. I have videos on my YouTube channel that talk about uh, the YouTube method. My wife and I illustrate them. Of course, it is in my book, The Emotionally Secure Couple, which can be found at any of your local bookstores. It can also be bought on Amazon. If you call our office uh, and are willing to pay over the phone, we will send you a signed copy. Uh, You also can find episode 34 uh, on my podcast here, which talks about strategies for being a good listener, just talks more about the form and function of what it means to be a good listener, things like letting people finish their sentences, etc. Most people could improve on being better at hearing. That's me. I, I could be better. I'm a counselor. I listen for a living and I could improve my listening skills, my hearing skills, especially when I'm distressed. That's probably true of you too. But call your spouse, call your loved one, say, hey, text them. On a scale of one to five, how am I doing in helping you to feel heard? And then let's talk about valued. How am I doing helping you feel valued? What does it mean to value someone? Well, there's lots of different sayings about this. Price is what you pay. Value is what you get, right? I always tell people there's two things. Let me see two things and I'll tell you what you value in your life. Let me look at how you spend your money and let me look at how you spend your time and I will show you what you value. I'll show you what you value because it'll be there. In, in whatever the written form is that you track how you spend your time and you track how you spend your money. It doesn't matter what we say, it matters what we do. And we get to vote with two things when it comes to value. We get to vote with our time and our money all day, every day. And this is where it gets complicated, especially for couples, because a lot of people, they avoid their families doing good things. Seriously, if you want to have a good exercise, maybe your spouse doesn't want to tell you how they feel valued. Or maybe the number they give you is different than you thought it would be. It's lower than you thought it would be. Or maybe the two of you just need to have a healthy conversation about it, even though the number that you think is that you thought it would be, they thought it would be, and it all worked out well, but you feel like you want to have a healthy conversation. Take a sheet of paper and make a T on it. Make make a T on the, on the paper 
And then on the left side, write the word relationship. On the right side, write the word task of the line that makes the, the base of the T. So, right, so at the top of the T to the left, you would have the word relationship. To the right, you would have the word task. And then I want you to write down everything that you did in the last seven days to build the relationship and everything that you did in the last seven days to, to, that were tasks, things that have to get done. Like you got to go to work, you got to pay your bills, got to cut the grass, got to wash the dishes, got to do laundry, all of those things. They all have to get done. One of the problems is we tend to think that there are only bad things that want to take our time from those that we love. There are good things that want to take our times from those that we love. Sports, there's nothing wrong with sports, but too many people allow sports to take time away from their family. And I'm not talking about like local sports. You know how I feel about that. I'm talking about like pro sports. Like, oh, I can't, the Tigers are on, or I can't, UEFA's on, or the NHL finals are on, or the NASCAR race is on, which... Look, there's a balance there. I get it. But your family wants to know that you value them. If you want to create emotional security, they want to know that they're valued. They don't have to be the center of your world per se, but they want to know that they're valued. And if it's your spouse, you're going to have to really think through what did you mean the day you promised to love them above everything else? I love to read. There are times it's just important to put the book down and look at my wife and say, what is it that you're talking about? Or what would you like to talk about? My wife loves to decompress by doing certain things. There are times where it's important for her to just put it down and let me say, what do you want to talk about? How do you value your spouse? Dates, regular dates. They don't have to be expensive. Time. Do you pursue your spouse's inner being? I was working with a couple one time and the husband asked the wife and the wife said, I don't really feel all that valued by you. And he said, well, why not? And she said, well, all you do is work. When you come home, you do work. Uh, and he's like, well, we, but we need this money. We agreed that we were doing it this way, that I was going to take on the, these side gigs. She's like, I know I agree, but I, I'm just telling you how I feel. And at that moment, couples feel stuck because, okay, well, wait, we said we were going to do these things. There's a, there's a short limited time life to the side gig that I'm doing. And, and, and yet you're saying you don't feel valued. What do I do? Here's a million dollar question that isn't part of the, uh, this, I'm going off script here. Here's a million dollar question that you should ask your spouse regularly when you hear that something isn't going the way that you want it to. If you want to do that, right? So he wanted his wife to feel valued and he asked the million dollar question. Well, what could I do? What would it look like to you for me to value you and keep all this other stuff going? Because now he's hitting both heard and valued. Rather than telling her how he's going to fix it, he is literally inviting her to tell him how she would like it fixed. And she said, we could just get coffee in the morning two or three times a week, and I'd love that. Like, just sit on our deck. They didn't have any children uh, at the time, and so they were just getting ready to kind of launch that portion of their life, and they, they were very busy. And she's like, if we just got coffee two or three times a week, like by get coffee, I mean brew it on our kitchen counter and then go out and sit on the back porch for 25 minutes. I'd love that. And I asked him, I said, is that something you can do? Yeah, I think I can do that. And they did it. And, and then they plugged in dates every three weeks and they plugged in two times a year getting away and, and they, they plugged in these things. But he pursued her and she pursued him. Sex. It always cracks me up when people like, especially I live in a very religious community 
And there are people who are like, uh, I don't know. I, uh, uh, whenever we try to be um, uh, in, uh, intimate, and I always look, I'm like, oh, you mean like whenever you try to have sex? Yeah. Sex is a way that people feel valued because sex, when it's done right, and there is a way that it's not, when it's done right, it is a giving, it is a mutual giving of yourself to each other. It is a mutual risk. Initiating sex, whenever they do a thing on shame, initiating sex is one of the most shame uh, laden activities that married couples engage in. Like saying, hey, I want to have sex. One person, that's one of the things they report is the highest shame trigger for them. And so as you engage this, as you move into pursuit and value, here's the thing. People do what they want to do when they want to do it. And the stuff that matters to them, they find time for. So the person who tells me, well, I can't find time for my husband I would say, do you go to the gym? Yeah, well, you find time for that. Yeah, but that's different. You're right, it is different. You value that more than you do your husband. For the guy who says, I can't find time for my wife. Okay, well, do you go to sports games? Yeah, well, okay, you find time for them. Yeah, but that's different. You're right, you value them. Do you find time to hunt, fish? Yep, okay, that's because you value them. In other words, if a couple's going to be healthy, they're going to have to give up other things because that's what value means. I always tell couples when they come in, I know they value therapy because they're giving up, a, most of them, a lot of them are giving up close to three hours of their day, right? A half hour to get to me, an hour for the session, and a half hour afterwards, and those are the hour on each end, depending on the field that you're in, that could be like lost. At the very least, it's two hours. And, and that's, that's a commitment. That's time. That's saying, I value this. That's time and money. Every time they do study about therapy, one of the things that they find is that people who don't pay for therapy have worse outcomes than people who pay something. Because when we have to put skin in the game, there's value. Now, that's not always true. You might say, hey, look, I went to therapy and I didn't have to pay for it. My insurance covered it all, or I got a scholarship, or I couldn't afford it, so I went and did those. That's fine. I'm not saying that there aren't people who do it. I'm saying that when you look at the broad numbers... Because we value things that we have to put skin in the game for. We value things that we make time for. We value things that we spend money and time on. Time and money. Time and money. We'll swap time for money so that we can swap money for time. It doesn't make sense to me, but that is human nature. And for people who are wanting to build emotional security, they have to feel valued. Are you willing to stop your gaming to hear what your wife has to say? Are you willing to have a messy kitchen so you can hear about your husband's long day? Are you willing to go to a sports game with your husband? Not because you like the sport, but because he does and you want him to know that you value him. Are you willing to go to a sports game with your wife? We could flip that around because she wants to go, not because you like it, but because you value her. You show your spouse, that you value them with your actions. And a lot of times I hear people say, well, of course I love her. Of course I value him. I'm in the marriage, aren't I? Yeah, but that's kind of like minimal effort. That's really not what they're looking for when they're they're talking about, do I feel valued? Do you value my opinion? I was working with a couple one time and I told him, I said, well, come up with some family values. The husband came up with 28, which is a lot. The wife made fun of all 28. That's not valuing him. And coincidentally, it doesn't cause them to feel safe. It does not create fertile ground for value or safety to grow. And if they can't grow, emotional security will not grow.
By the way, if you want more uh, information about emotional security, obviously that is the title of my first book, The Emotionally Secure Couple. It is also on my podcast on other episodes. Actually, the very first episode, episode one, Emotional Security, is one of my first episodes. It's not one of my first episodes. It is my first episode. It's really important that we understand that this is what drives everything, emotional security. I truly believe that in relationships, everything is driven by emotional security. And most of our destructive behaviors are driven by emotional insecurity. And if you value things more than you value your spouse, your family, you're going to foster emotional insecurity. And guys, let's just be honest. Even women, let's just be honest. We say we work for our families, which there's truth to that. But a lot of us, we find meaning in our work. We feel competent in our work. We feel good at it. It gets us out of the house. It gets us away from things that we can't control, from tensions that we don't want to live in. And we actually value our work because we value ourselves and it feels good. And there's nothing wrong with that. I love what I do. Most days, I love what I do. But we have to embrace the idea that if we want to have healthy relationships, we have to wade into uncomfortable waters, things that are uncomfortable for us, distressing for us, not because we like that, but because we value our spouse. That's why you engage in good communication. That's why you engage in conversations that are uncomfortable because when you can do that, you are telling your spouse, I value you more than I value my own comfort. And that helps build emotional security. And when you have good hearing and good valuing, then you have safety. You're starting to grow safety. And remember, the three questions are, am I heard, am I valued, am I safe? Safety naturally flows out of being heard and valued. With a little caveat, will you use the things that I tell you in my vulnerable moments against me later when you're angry? If you will, then you're not safe. In other words, there are people that they're actually pretty good at hearing and valuing-ish. But then when they get mad, they use words to hurt and that's not safe. And so hearing and valuing can happen and safety not occur. You have to actually work to do that, but you can do it. Because if you're hearing and valuing them, you won't do things that hurt the person. You won't use words that hurt them. Now, we should probably change that word hurt to harm. One of the things that I've become more and more aware of uh, over the last 18 months to two years is there is a distinction between words that are hurtful and words that are harmful. When you get fired, that's a hurtful word, not necessarily a harmful word. It might actually be the best thing that ever happens to you because you learn some areas where you can improve and grow. When we consider hurt versus harm, how we use our words matters. Do you name call? When you're angry, do you name call? When you're angry, do you bring up previous things that the person did where they were being vulnerable to you or things that they did where they said, I'm sorry, and you've, they've apologized and you've forgiven them or said that you've forgiven them. And now you're using it as a weapon. You're weaponizing their past against them. So safe is, is a bit of a more complicated one in that it requires the two steps, right? First, you have to be good at listening. You have to be a good hearer. Then you have to value them. And then you have to intentionally choose words that is not a weaponization of their vulnerability. It's not using their past as a, as a tool to harm them. It's not rubbing their nose in their shame from the past. 
It's not bringing up their father. It's not bringing up their mother. It's dealing with the issue in front of you. It's not giving in to your pain to say, I want you to hurt like I hurt because of something you did. So I want you to hurt the same way. It's not giving in to that pain. It's saying, I care about you. I value you. Notice this. I value you. That's the second one. I value you so much that I will not do something that will intentionally bring you harm or pain unless the hurt is helpful. The pain is helpful for your growth. There are times that pain is helpful for growth. And real love actually engages in that. Real love actually goes at the idea that, hey, sometimes I might have to tell my wife something that helps her grow, but it's hard for her to hear. Sometimes she might have to tell me something that helps me grow, but it's hard for me to hear. But it's not, the intent isn't to bring pain. The intent isn't to hurt. The intent isn't to give in to my anger to be petty. Because here's the thing, we all know what humans are like, because we are one. And we all know that when people are angry, they know how to push buttons. And pushing buttons helps us feel safe in the moment. And we all know that to not give in to that impulse is a risk. And so when someone does it, we notice. That doesn't mean the person's going to react well. It doesn't mean that. I wish it did. But there are times when you can be doing all these. You can be doing heard, valued, and safe. And the other person is not doing them to you. That doesn't give you a pass to act poorly. One of the biggest things I see in couples is they talk nice to each other. They talk good to each other. They talk good. They talk well to each other. They talk in a way that is productive to each other when things are smooth. But when the, when the things start to fall apart, when it all hits the hay, as the saying goes, hits the fan, as the saying goes, I think it is, uh, they give themselves a pass for poor behavior because the other person had poor behavior. That isn't how it works. You can't say, well, I'm just doing what I need to do to feel safe. If you feeling safe requires you to hurt your spouse, you're in real trouble, real trouble. Like it's time to call multiple counselors. Because I can't, it's difficult for me to come up with a conversation where you being safe requires you to harm your spouse requires you to be an unsafe person for your spouse. How many stories, just for fun, you don't actually have to answer this because I won't be able to hear you anyhow because you're listening to this someplace that I'm not. How many stories run in your head about who you are or interpretations about what's going on in your life that you would be mortified if anyone heard? How many of those can you share with your spouse? The more safe you are, the higher that number. And people are afraid. My, my daughter and I were talking about this with parenting. I'm convinced that fear runs the majority of people's lives. And she was talking to me about parenting and she said, you know, I, I think two things are true for a lot of parents. One, they're scared to death that their kids are going to hate them so they don't parent them. Or they're scared to death that they're going to mess it up so they don't parent them. Or they overparent them. They try to run their lives into their 20s and 30s and tell them what to do. And I said, you know, I told her, I said, I actually, I think you're right. I see that in the room a lot. People are afraid, so they either under-engage or they over-engage. And the problem is when we do either of those, we're not being safe. Safety comes from saying, I love you so much. I want to hear you. I want to value you. And I'm willing to live in this uncomfortableness with you. And I'm never going to try to harm you on purpose. Now, look, you're human. You're probably going to mess up. There's going to be times you do things that later you're like, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. 
Go make it right. Go say, I'm sorry that I hurt you by doing this. Will you forgive me? I was wrong. And then move on. That's part of the safety process. Knowing that I can, that, you, that if you wrong them, you will come to them and admit it, create safety. If, if your spouse knows that, you're helping foster safety. You're creating that fertile ground for emotional security to grow. The biggest area where I f- find that people tend to prove themselves unsafe is when they're the most afraid, when they're the most uncomfortable. They tend to just, they just, their mouth just starts running or it just shuts down. They just start saying harmful things or they don't say anything, which can, is just disengagement, which is also read as harmful and unhelpful and scary and painful and destructive. So if you want to be good at being safe, practice good hearing, practice valuing the person, and then make a commitment to control your temper, to control your mouth, to control your words to control the things you say. And if you want more information about this, read my chapter in my book on the six rules. Watch the video on my YouTube channel. Uh, Go to joemartino.com, click on YouTube. Right now, there are no new videos going up. That's a little bit on a break as we kind of just relaunched that. I brought in a consultant to help me just get better at it. I'm not a marketer by profession. Uh, they don't teach a lot of marketing school classes in in counseling school. Uh, so we are working on that and that will relaunch, uh, this fall, hopefully uh, as a better improved version of a better medium to communicate, but there's good information there right now that will help you be good at helping your spouse, helping your loved ones feel safe. Am I heard? Am I valued? Am I safe? I don't have to be safe with the whole world. There are people that I don't view as safe, that I'm never going to engage, but I have to feel safe with my wife if I'm going to have a good good relationship with her. That doesn't mean she has to tell me everything that I want to hear. It doesn't mean that she has to uh, only tell me things that are positive about myself. It just means she has to do it in a way that is where I, it shows me that she's more concerned about my good, me being the best version of me that I can be than she is about whatever it is that's frustrating her. It has to be about the relationship growing, about me growing. One of the things that I run into all the time is I'll be working with a couple and they'll tell me about interactions they have and say, well, you could say it this way. And invariably one of them just recently, this past week, the wife said to me, well, then he'll do this and mess it all up. And I'm like, right there, you're not being a safe person. And then she literally just jumped at me, not literally, figuratively jumped at me and snapped her words at me, being very unsafe. Now, for me, it doesn't really matter. We're, I'm, not, I'm not married to her. I'm never going to be married to her. But I did point out, I was like, look, when you get frustrated, you yell at me. And we're in a room, we're, we're early in the process. You're still trying to put your best foot forward. Imagine what his life is like at home. That gets her even more angry. Because listen, here's the thing. What you do that causes your spouse to feel unsafe or safe can destroy how good you are at hearing or valuing them. Or it can enhance it. It'll only do one of the two. You can be a good hearer a good valuer, and literally set those two skills, everything that you you collect, right? We talk about relational equity, all of the relational equity that you've built, and you can set it all on fire if you're not safe. 
Safety comes from being heard and valued and then judiciously guarding all the data points that you collect when your spouse is vulnerable to you because you were doing a good job at hearing and valuing them. And then the fourth fun question, do I make you feel wanted? What happened? What do I do to make you feel wanted? How do you like to be flirted with? My wife and I talk about this all the time. How many people get mad when their husbands flirt with them? How many people get mad when their wife flirts with them? You have to have that conversation. How do you feel wanted? It's not one of the three core questions. Uh, we will, I would like to talk about it uh, later a little bit more, but we are at a pretty long episode. This is almost twice as long as my typical episode. But what, what, what do you do that makes you feel wanted? Here's the thing. If you're doing heard, valued, and safe, your spouse is going to feel wanted. But there should be flirting in there. There should be uh, superfluous stuff. There should be body touching that doesn't lead to sex. There should be comments, compliments, texts, Snapchats, those types of things to feel wanted. But if you're not creating time for them to feel valued, if you're not good at hearing them, if you're not good at keeping the information you have that you know could harm them or you could use as a weapon to kind of rub their face in it, it doesn't matter what you do for wanted. I hope that makes sense. All right, thanks so much for listening. I know you could spend your time anywhere. If you found value in this, please feel free to share it with your friends on social media. Uh, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it whenever I see it shared. Uh, If you wanted to tag me or my company in it, we'd appreciate that. We'd love that. You can find more information out, joemartino.com. That's kind of my personal webpage. Feel free to tool around there. Coming this fall, I will be launching uh, a public speaking company. Uh, So if you're interested in that, if you're interested in having me come talk to your organization, reach out. Let's talk about it. Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please share with a friend. Give us a rating on the iTunes store. And if you have a question for a future show, feel free to send us an email at info at You can also go to joemartino.com and click on the Contact Me page. Until next time, remember, change possible.